Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Lots of great stories up at Hot Air, and uh, most of them aren't mine now. I mean, I'm the managing editor, so I'm working on headlines. I'm doing things behind the scenes. I'm preparing for a very interesting VIP launch that will, I think, get announced today. It's not yet. But I think it's going to get announced today. It will certainly take place tomorrow, and it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, but can't tell you what it is at the moment. However, lots of other great stuff going on. Um, as we're writing right now, our, our biggest uh, story in terms of page views is Beach Wellborn's uh, post. She's been here uh, two whole days, and she's already making waves. Matt Gates's opponent blowing up local Dems and making friends. I can't tell you how popular that post is. Uh, Beach has a writing style all of her own, and uh, and it's uh, looks like we're going to have some fun with that. She's got another post in the pipeline right now, uh, so that'll be up later today. You get a chance to take a look at that, and uh, and she's kind of swamping out a couple of my posts. I have a couple of ones that are, you know, I'm just a little bit jealous of Beach here now. <laughs> Just a wee bit jealous of Beach. Um, I wrote a couple of posts today. And, uh, you know, again, as managing editor, I'm going to be doing somewhat less post writing. But this week, we're going to have some deficits. So I need to make sure that I'm kicking in. And um, so I'm probably going to do a full slate today or pretty close to it. Uh, the two things that I, I picked out here today, actually three things. One of the, the one was the big news was overnight, which was the leaks that are going to the Washington Post over uh, the documents that were discovered by the FBI dur during their search of Mar-a-Lago. Uh, there are sources that are leaking the the particular, uh, I wouldn't say information, but the, the characterization of these documents, um, one of which was supposedly a document that outlines the nuclear defenses of another country, presumably allied, perhaps not. Um, and that was classified at, uh, such a high level that only a few people really had access to it. Um, another one being the, uh, some, uh, human sources and methods that were disclosed in documents that again, only a very few people would have had access to, including the president, of course, um, and should have all, and both of which should have been contained in skiffs, et cetera. <clears throat> and, um, I mean, if this is true then yeah, it makes Trump look pretty bad. But I mean, that's kind of the purpose of the leaks because the nature of the classified documents don't really, uh, doesn't really play into his legal liability here. If he illegally stored classified material at Mar-a-Lago, um, you know, with improper storage and improper security, that's a violation of the law. It doesn't matter whether it's a confidential class classification, which is generally speaking the lowest one, or top secret compartmented, which is among the higher ones, uh, among the highest ones, actually. And so, I mean, anybody could be prosecuted under any of those. You could make an argument that maybe it would matter at sentencing, and it probably would. Uh, but in terms of criminal liability, under the Espionage Act, it makes no difference. So you have to ask yourself, why is why were why were the characterizations of these particular documents leaked to the Washington Post? And it seems pretty clear that it's to rebut Donald Trump's claim that he declassified this information, because while a president technically probably could declassify that, nobody in their right mind would. <laughs> 
declassify that kind of information if that's exa- if if that is an accurate depiction of what those documents uh, showed. Nobody's going to declassify human in- uh, you know human intelligence sources and methods that are still in place. Nobody in the right mind would do that. Nobody in the right mind would declassify another nation's nuclear secrets without that nation's cooperation. Because if they did, it would shortly stop cooperating. So to me, the leak here is uh, another one in a series of leaks that have gone on for the last several years that are coming out of either the Department of Justice or out of the intelligence community. And you take your pick, or maybe even the White House, uh, that is meant to uh, prosecute a allegation against Donald Trump in the media. And we saw this during the Russian collusion thing that House Intelligence Committee, and specifically Adam Schiff, kept insisting that they had all sorts of evidence of Russian collusion, that Trump was colluding with Russian intelligence. They had evidence of it. They were going to be able to show evidence of it. And then Robert Mueller finally comes out and says, there's no evidence of that. I mean, there's evidence that they were sloppy. There's evidence that they were, you know, careless. But there's no evidence that they were colluding with Russian intelligence. The Steele dossier turned out to be you know, a, a gauzy oppo research hit job um, that was funded uh, by, in the end, it was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is, this is part of a series of leaks. And look, I mean, if those documents are what they say they are and are fully, and it's a fully accurate report that the leakers are giving to the Washington Post, that's a huge problem. It doesn't change the political liability of Donald Trump it doesn't change the legal liability, might change the political liability of Donald Trump, but not the legal liability. Uh, but until we start seeing actual evidence of this, I'm keeping my powder dry on this. I don't trust leaks coming out of this investigation. They shouldn't be leaking in the first place. None of this stuff should be getting out into the media. This is something that should be contained until the Department of Justice is ready to take action. And if they aren't going to take action, everybody should just have kept their mouth shut about this. Um, and it's clearly apparent that somebody within this administration, or maybe a series of somebodies, are is playing a game of politics with Donald Trump. And I, I just don't trust that. And I don't think anybody else should. And because we've been burned on this stuff before. Everybody's been burned on this stuff before. Coming Leaks out of the House Intelligence Committee, leaks out of the Mueller investigation. I mean, even after Mueller wrapped up, they were still leaking stuff. Well, they didn't really get to all the stuff. And nobody ever has the receipts on that type of thing. I, I'm not here to defend Donald Trump. He shouldn't have taken any classified information with him to Mar-a-Lago. Um, I think that that should have been the case with Hillary Clinton, too, who not only stored the stuff at her house, but was connected connected it to the Internet and was openly transmitting it for four years as Secretary of State and another two years afterwards before she got caught. And then obstructed an investigation by wiping the server and deleting half the emails that were on that server, claiming it was about Chelsea's wedding. I mean, this is, and, you know, there's evidence that she was instructing subordinates to strip off classification markings so that classified information could be sent in the clear. I mean, this is, this is very similar. <laughs> and the, the actions of the Department of Justice, we'll see. But so far, doesn't seem very similar. And I think we're going to need to ask questions about why. So that was what got me started this morning. I also wrote, too, about the uh, fact that the New, uh, the New York Times actually has a couple of really good articles today, folks. Uh, for those of you who think that you can't get good journalism out of mainstream media, the New York Times actually has two pieces, and I wrote about both of them today. 
The first one, or the first one I wrote about, was uh, Europe's green deception forest destroyed for Paris Accord compliance. I mean, this is a staggering expose that the New York Times did on the use of wood pellets as a renewable energy resource in Europe. They are stripping their old growth forests to produce these wood pellets, and the wood pellets actually uh, emit more carbon dioxide over the uh, over the arc of their use than fossil fuels do. I mean, this is absurd. It's it is a cautionary tale on perverse incentives, on regulatory screw ups, um, and on manipulation, all to uh, comply with Paris Accords rather than actually solve the problem. If you want to solve the problem, frack and get natural gas out of the ground, leave your forests in place because they're carbon dioxide sinks. That's how you get carbon dioxide out of the air. You leave the forests alone, you burn natural gas instead, or use nuclear power, or even use coal, which is actually less emitting of carbon dioxide than the wood pellets turn out to be. <laughs> and they have coal, they've got natural gas, they just don't want to drill for it. They don't want to do fracking, and so they can't access it without the fracking. So they'd rather just buy it from Russia, which is leaving them in the position that they are right now. I mean, this it's a, it's a model of green hypocrisy, this story is. Second one is the New York Times uh, also reports that uh, Health and Human Services is still requiring Head Start facilities to mask toddlers. In, and, and this is in primarily in poor neighborhoods because that's why Head Start is designed to help. So they're ma they're requiring you know disadvantaged economically disadvantaged uh or I'll say this toddlers from economic dis disadvantaged families which is the best way to put this to wear masks which they can't do for any sustained period of time if you've ever had a toddler if you've ever seen a toddler you know a toddler is not going to put that mask on and keep it on for you know 4 hours a day or 6 hours a day it, you'd be l lucky if it lasts four minutes. And in fact, there's a great anecdote in the New York Times article about this. Um, and the CDC isn't even recommending it anymore. And the HHS um, spokesperson told the New York Times, well, we, you know, we, we could change that rule, but it's going to take a long time. And we got to, you know, got to get comments. And this is the reason why you don't pass these rules in the first place. There was no science there was no scientific basis for this rule. There was no scientific basis for the CDC to recommend masking in schools, especially with children of this age who are not at all at risk for COVID-19. Um, this is a, this is a side a side effect or a byproduct uh, of the teachers unions uh, political campaign to keep schools closed um, rather than rationally reopen them. and. We had all the data in the world. This 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 mandate, by the way, only goes back to last November, November 2021, when we had all the data in the world to show that schools weren't going to be an issue. They weren't vectors for community transmission. Children were not at risk. Teachers had already gotten to the head of the line by that time for vaccines. And yet they still imposed this in November of 2021, and now they can't unimpose it, apparently. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Uh, there's more to read here. Jazz Shaw's got uh, J6 Rioter gets prison time for gesticulating. That's a good post. He also is talking about a poll in which more than one in five Democrats believe men can get pregnant. <laughs> John's got stuff coming up. Beach has got another post, like I said, coming up later as well. Karen Townsend's got more posts um, coming up. And I've got a bunch of headlines, and I hope that everybody's enjoying the new headlines that we've got. I think that... Um, 
people seem to be much more engaged. And of course, the idea is, is to engage our readers with the wider commentariat and not just, you know, again, not an echo chamber, but the commentariat. So you can see what everybody's talking about rather than just link to, um, you know, just what's happening in, you know, on, on the breaking news front. And I think you guys are enjoying it. If you are, let me know. If you're not, let me know. But uh, if you're a VIP member, you can go into the comments and do that too. Um, coming up next, um, I talk with conventionofstates.com's Mark Meckler about uh, Joe Biden's speech, about polling that comes up after Joe Biden's speech, and especially about the New York Times freakout over the Article 5 Convention of States that Mark Meckler is trying to organize. You're going to really enjoy this conversation, so stay tuned. And stay tuned afterwards because, you know, once again, I'm going to tell you how to subscribe. <laughs> stay tuned for that as well. Thanks for watching. Don't miss a minute of The Ed Morrissey Show. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I am very pleased to reintroduce you to Mark Meckler from Convention of States, who, like me, was a little mystified reading the New York Times this past weekend, saying that elements on the right, elements on yes. the right, are trying to hold a convention, an Article 5 convention, Mark, and I, I mean, did anybody even bother to reach out to you to talk to you about this thing? No, absolutely not. I thought the funniest line to me is that it's a hushed effort. I've been making as much noise as I possibly can for nine years now. Apparently, this is a hushed effort. I actually missed that part because yeah. I would have laughed my butt off about the idea that this was a hushed effort. We've been talking about this for years. Yeah. And well, I, I mean, think it's just finally coming to their attention there on the left and they're scared of it. Well, of course, they're scared of it because they didn't bother to do any research on it. I mean... They mentioned ratification, one a, a grand and glorious single time in this um, in this uh, screed that they published, and it's not even to note that anything that comes out of an Article Five convention has to be ratified by the states as well as any amendment that gets passed by Congress. I mean, it's the same procedure for the states; it's the same procedure. Yeah, well, this is the New York Times, so accuracy is not the harbinger of their reporting. <laughs> well, you can say that again. Now, they quoted Russ Feingold, right, in this um, in this article. And um, I did not know this. As soon as my post, well, not as soon as my post, but not shortly after my post went up yesterday, Labor Day, I started getting text messages from you about uh, you being named in the prologue. And what was my first response, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> you said my prologue? My prologue. <laughs> I don't remember having a prologue. No, no, Ed, come on. The book that Russ Feingold wrote, you're mentioned in Russ Feingold's pro prologue, which must be, you know, sort of a career highlight, I guess, of sorts, right? And, you know, it was pretty amazing. And it was interesting because I first saw this reported on ABC, literally on prime, ABC primetime. Uh, they had Feingold on talking about his new book. Uh, he's obviously been working on it for a while. That's pretty big distribution when you're on ABC. We've never been on ABC. I don't expect they're going to report on us positively anytime soon. Uh, and then this hit in New York Times interviewing Russ Feingold. And so I went and I hate to do this. I never buy books from socialists, but I bought Feingold's book. I admit it. And I actually got the Audible copy and the Kindle copy. I wanted a chance to kind of rip through it. I'm very interesting because in the prologue to the book, he goes after us in particular he does it by quoting one of the John Birch Society crazy people from Montana who really doesn't like us. 
because we pointed out that her position on Convention of States matches perfectly George Soros, Planned Parenthood, La Raza, MoveOn.org, and Hillary Clinton. She's very offended by that. And so Feingold quotes her as being against us. Well, okay. <laughs> it's true. I mean, at least it's factual. <laughs> yeah, at least it, at least he checked his facts on that, right? So that's that's yeah. okay. But I, so tell people, I mean, I certainly wrote about it. And I'm not an expert on this thing. You tell you tell our our watcher, our viewers, our our listeners how badly the New York Times got this wrong. Well, you know, the the interesting thing is they fear and they do it with fear mongering. They fear the idea of a convention of states and they fear it because actually the real reason is because we're kind of doing exactly what they are saying we're doing, which is the truth is most of the states are Republican at this point. We have a chance to get to convention with Republican states pushing it. And our goal, and Feingold says this openly in his book, I mean, he's actually relatively accurate about it. But really, our goal is to get our hands around the throat of the federal government and shove it back in the constitutional box to limit the administrative state, uh, to limit the power of the federal government to tax us, to spend more money than they bring in in taxes. So a lot of the facts are accurate. The fear mongering is where they get it wrong. Well, look, I mean, again, this is not uh, in some ways it's it's uh, it's novel because we've just haven't ever had an Article five convention. But it's always been part of the Constitution. It's the reason why we call it an Article V convention. It's Article V of the Constitution has the <laughs> process in there. This is a fully constitutional process. It's not a secret process. How long have you guys been working on this, uh, on putting together enough states to get together to have an Article V convention to discuss amendments to the Constitution? <laughs> yeah, in this very hushed and secret way. We've yeah, we're very hushed. On this. <laughs> we've been doing this for nine years. It was nine years this August. Uh, and now there are 19 states out of the requisite 34 states have signed on. We're working in, in the rest of the states to get it done. So it's a long effort. There are millions of people involved all across the country, guys like you and a lot of others know all about it. It's supported by uh, Hannity and Levin and Beck and Shapiro and Dace and all kinds of good conservative guys and you among them, obviously. And yeah. so there's no secret here. It's it's nothing surprising. It's in the Constitution. It was put there by the founders who warned us that at some point the federal government would become out of control and unresponsive, and we would need a method to rein them in. This is actually a method for states to rein in the federal government. This is a part of uh, this is a point I, I raise in my in my piece, and I was talking about it in my live chat earlier today, which was that the the congressionally initiated constitutional amendment process is there for when the the people and the states in Washington DC decide that there needs to be some there, that there needs to be an amendment made to the constitution something has risen to that level they can produce you know by uh two-thirds votes in both chambers they can produce a constitutional amendment then send it out for ratification to three-quarters of the states that's that's the one process the reason though, that Article Five exists is so that the states can initiate that when Congress won't act, and right. this is one of my big keys here is because the reason why, you know, conventionofstates.org and and the people that you're working with at conventionofstates.org want to call this constitutional convention is because Congress is actively accruing power that it shouldn't have, and Congress is not going to correct that on its own. 
they could correct it without a constitutional amendment. You're simply saying, oh, we shouldn't be doing this and rolling back all the stuff that they've been doing. Um, Article 5 is there for the states, and that's part of the constitutional structure that the Constitution was meant to preserve, which was that the states, the states are sovereign in and of themselves, and they are stakeholders in the federal government. It's also the reason why the Senate was appointed by the states rather than directly elected by popular vote initially, and why the Seventeenth Amendment is terrible. But that's a whole other that's a whole other whole other topic for another day. Maybe it comes up at the convention of states. I'd hope, but we hope we hope. But the Article 5 is is there as a corrective for the states so that the states can protect their own interests in limiting the federal government. That's really all Article 5 is. It's just another mechanism to do what Congress already has the authority to do. Yeah, and we actually know very specifically what the framers intended when they put it in. We have Madison's notes. They tell us that Colonel George Mason from Virginia stood up said to the delegation, hey, we have a problem here. We've given the power to Congress to propose amendments, but not to the people acting through the states. And then he asked a question, are we so naive that we believe that a federal government that becomes a tyranny will ever propose amendments to restrain its own tyranny? Well, no tyranny in human history has ever restrained itself. So that's just human nature. Can you imagine a tyrant one day just saying, you know, I think I have too much power. Why don't I give some back to the people? I and Congress is definitely tyrannical. They're not going to cut the administrative state by themselves. They're not going to term limit themselves. They're not going to balance budget limit themselves. They've had plenty of time to do all that stuff if they wanted to do it. So if we, as conservatives, believe in federalism, which is the most of the power should reside in the states and the people, this is the method that we have to return to federalism. And, and Ed, I would add that this is addressing the problem of our time which is the divisiveness in the country, the hatred between the sides. The reason that we are at each other's throats is because all this stuff is being decided in Washington, D.C., instead of having the power to disperse to the states to make the decisions. Let California be as liberal as it wants, and people like you and I can escape and move to Texas, uh, and let Texas or Oklahoma or Kansas be as conservative as they want. Yeah, you know, I I, I agree with you on that. I mean, it's also because Congress is... As there's a whole set of layers to this. It's not just that Congress has accrued power to itself. That's part of what the issue is. Part of the issue too, though, is that Congress has then passed those powers onto the executive rather than holding it on onto it themselves. Which means that the people's branch, especially the House. Uh, but now, of course, the Senate, because that's popularly elected as well, really doesn't have, won't take, I want to make sure I say this accurately, won't take the actions necessary to do the will of the people. They don't want to do that because that would require, you know, casting tough votes. <laughs> and most of the right. people who get elected to Congress these days aren't interested in casting tough votes. What they're interested in is winning their next election. And basically being as innocuous as possible. So they just, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for this, but they cede their authority to the executive, which means that our expectations over the decades have changed. And this is where I think we get to the divisiveness. It, it's that Congress, it's not that Congress is not performing its job. It's that Congress won't perform its job. So the only way to win is to win 
the presidency and have the president act in an increasingly authoritarian manner in order to get anything accomplished for the base of voters that put him in him or her in that position in the first place. And that's the reason why you're seeing increasingly authoritarian um, presidencies. And, and look, I mean, and I, I you know, the, this dreadful, dreadful Biden address last Thursday was a great example of this, but Joe Biden isn't the first one to do this. Donald Trump was authoritarian. Barack Obama was authoritarian in certain ways. George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, you know, and we put up with it during the you know, depression is really where it starts. Right. Um, because it was a crisis. It was a legit crisis. Then you had World War II. Then you had the Cold War. At the end of the Cold War, you'd think, well, maybe we need to pare back the imperial presidency just a little bit. We don't need it anymore. But that's not what happened. It's gotten progressively worse because Congress has gotten progressively less interested in doing its job. That's what an Article 5 convention is designed to do, is to reset the power structures between the three um, separate but equal branches of government, federal government, and the relationship between the states and the federal government as well. That's why you need Article 5. Man, that is a beautiful summary. I'm going to clip that and we're going to post that on our website. <laughs> no, I, it really is that good. I think when you summarize Convention of States at its most simple form, it's a jurisdictional fight is really what it's about. Yep. And there's a simple question we should always ask ourselves before we even ask, is something constitutional or do we want this? The question is, who decides? In America, who decides these things? Who decides the relationship between you and your doctor? Is it you and your doctor, family and your doctor, or is it some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C.? Where should the power reside? That is a fundamental question in our system of governance. We've broken that balance of who decides, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put decision-making power back in the states and, importantly, back in the hands of the people. Again, I go back to the the uh, the concept of subsidiarity, right? Thomas Jefferson, I believe, is the one who expressed this in the most clean way possible, which is that the government that governs least governs best. But I would put it even better, the government that governs closest governs Correct. best. Um, and the reason why you want government closer to you, subsidiarity, the subsidiarity model is because it's more accountable <laughs> when you're electing your next door neighbor as your city councilman. And that's where the actual, you know, feet on the ground governance takes place. You can always go knock on his door and say, Hey, this is stupid. Knock it off. Uh, or we're going to vote you out. There's immediate accountability. The further government gets away from that, the more, the less subsidiarity that there is, the less accountability that there is. And that's the reason why you want to limit the federal government's um, uh, jurisdiction as well, is because you just really want a lot of this stuff to be accountable very close to home. And that's where you want your money spent as well. I mean, I live here in Central Texas now. God bless Texas. So I would like to see my money spent in <laughs> in Texas. When I was in Minnesota, I wanted my money spent in Minnesota because that's where I lived and I could watch where the money was being spent. And that's the beauty of it, Mark. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Subsidiarity actually historically is a concept that comes out of the Catholic Church, basically says decisions should be made as close to the local parish as possible in, in any way that they possibly can. I love the concept and the founders understood it. It's not that they thought that people at home would be better people or, uh, you know, were smarter people. It's just that they understood that governance closest to the people is the most accountable form of governance. Right. 
Exactly. And, and, and I apologize. We have a puppy coming into the room. There is here, never which... any reason to apologize for puppies. I mean, he, he's been he's been particularly aggressive about appearing in video today. He is a eight month old or sorry, a five month old Great Dane who now weighs about 85 pounds. So he, <laughs> he pretty much goes where he wants to go. Well, he should be on the show. What's his name? <laughs> his name is Winston. Come here, buddy. Get Winston. Up. What a great name. There we go. Come here. Let's see. Winston. Right, this is Winston. This is my little lap dog, Winston. Ah, oh, there you go. Now, what podcast would be complete without a puppy like Winston? Come on, man. You can't apologize for that. There's another one in the background there on the ground. He's full grown. He's about 150 pound, eight year old Great Dane. So, well, there you go. This is this is this is why people watch podcasts. This <laughs> real life. Yeah, real say? life. Real life. You know, you, you, I don't know if you remember this. Um, uh, the the episode or not episode, but it was a newscast. I think it may have been in in, in the United Kingdom, but it could have been here where the guy was reporting from his office, this pre-pandemic, right? <laughs> and his kids started running in. His wife kept trying to come in and grab the kids. And <laughs> everybody, everybody say, oh, this is terrible. I was like, no, it's not. This is awesome. This is great. Yeah, it never bothered me. I, you know, I, we're, we're a big dog family. When my kids were little, they would run in and out. It happens. It's that's, life. It's life. That's what, yeah, it's awesome. Never apologize for the puppies. That's the rule <sighs> here on the Ed okay. Morrissey show. All, All right, right, Mark, I want to talk to you about something else. I mean, you guys do yeah. conventions, estates.org. Well, you know, just to close the loop, so, so we can make sure that Winston is happy. Um, <laughs> this New York Times article is, I think, in some ways, almost like a really nice springboard for you guys because it really oh, does yeah. give you an opportunity to stand up and say, hey, look, this is not secretive. If you want to join us, come to conservative uh, conventionofstates.org, excuse me, conventionofstates.org and join us. Or if you don't like the idea, come to conventionofstates.org and find out about the idea so you can yeah. find out whether or not you like it in the first place. Say, hey, not may not be for everybody, but uh, but at least know the argument. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most interesting things as, as I'm reading Feingold's book is that he portrays us relatively accurately. I mean, he has a very negative impression of what we're doing, so that's his opinion. Sure. But he talked about a simulated convention we held in 2016 in Williamsburg, Virginia, and he says, like, it was complete, people dismissed us, is what he said, and people made fun of us, and they thought we were all gathering in powdered wigs and funny costumes. He said, look, I watched it. These are serious people in business attire, legislators from actual uh, legislatures around the country. These are real people having serious discussions and they're way ahead of us, he said, meaning the left in America. And if and when a convention is called, these people have the advantage. And he's right about all of that stuff. We've been working on the rules. We've got a base out there of millions of people. We have experience in holding a convention. He's concerned about it because he's a leftist and he doesn't like the things that we would do in convention. And he's right about that. We're going to do things largely that Really hardcore leftists don't like. We're going to decentralize power. We're going to make government smaller. We're going to return power to regular people instead of the ruling elites. Socialist centralizers like Russ Feingold don't like it. But I would say, you know, you know, on that measure, for the most part, he's accurate. And I'd have to add, Ed, interestingly, so I saw this on ABC. We saw it on the New York Times. In the few weeks before this, there have been hit pieces against us by Business Insider, uh, a leftist business magazine. Mm -hmm. and there's been an AP hit piece against us. So we're coming to the attention of the left in America, and they're scared of us. And I would say 
look, if you don't like the kind of stuff I'm talking about, if you don't like the idea of balancing the budget and limiting taxes and shrinking government and returning power to the people, if you don't like those things, you should be scared of us because we're going to do those things. Yeah. That's what we're, that's what you're going to wind up doing. You know, and before we come off of this, just one really quick thing, because I do want to talk about this poll about, um, about Biden's primetime speech that you guys, um, sponsored. Uh, but before we come off of this, I've gotten some pushback from, from allies, right? Saying this is a terrible idea because what will happen is that the leftists will, will, you know, co-opt it and they'll pass a bunch of things like, you know, legalized abortion to the, you know, moment of birth, uh, you know, all sorts of other, I don't even want to right. get into all the things that they suggested, but, you know, they'll change the constitution. They'll change, you know, they'll get rid of the, we'll get rid of the um, electoral college, you know, they'll the second uh, amendment, second amendment is another one. Yeah. And look, I mean, I, my, my thing to that is like, A, I don't fear people being engaged in this process. B, those types of things are never going to get 38 states to ratify just the same way Correct. as if you passed an abortion ban, a flat out abortion ban. You're not going to get 38 states to ratify that either. It's just not going to happen. Right. Right. So, look, I think your your math is the basic answer, which is if people are afraid of this and they're conservatives, they should think about what's the amendment they're afraid of and see if they could list 38 states that will ratify it. And they can't. And you're right. On either side, nothing radical could be actually ratified by 38 states. So there's no reason to fear. It's also important to remember the primary topic here, what we've been talking about, is Russ Feingold, the <laughs> former socialist senator from Wisconsin, is highly against this. Hillary Clinton is against this. George Soros and all his organizations are against this. Five years ago on Good Friday, 230 organizations signed a press release against this. All radical leftists in America. And then you look at the flip side, it's Levin, Hannity, Beck, Shapiro, Morrissey, Meckler, Mike Ferris, all conservative, hardcore folks that are for this in America. Every nationally known conservative who's spoken on it has spoken in favor. So obviously, the left doesn't believe that they control this process, or they'd be pretty excited about it right now. Yeah, I agree with you on that, too. Yes. I mean, it's it's and that's probably why Russ Feingold is freaked out, too, because he knows who's enjoying this idea most. And it isn't his side. So, and, and by the way, he says that openly in his book. Sure. He, his book is written as a warning to the left that this movement is of the right, that it's completely legitimate, and that we're getting close to achieving the goal of calling a convention. So his, the whole purpose for writing the book is to sound a warning bell to the radical left in America that they ought to try and stop this. Well... Best of luck to them on that, because I think that the more that Congress keeps arrogating, arrogating and then ceding power, arrogating power, then ceding it to the executive. And the more you have speeches like Joe Biden's speech on Thursday, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, the more popular your idea is going to become. And I think I've been saying this wrong. It's conventions of convention of states dot com, right? Not dot org. I think I've been saying it wrong. Yeah, it's primarily dot com dot org will take folks there, too. Oh, OK. There you go. Um, but at conventionofstates.com, one of the great things that Convention of States does is they sponsor polls, I think primarily through Trafalgar. Um, yep. you also will sometimes, um, uh, do press releases based on some Rasmussen polling and some other things, but you're, the ones that you sponsor are Trafalgar. And the Trafalgar poll that followed up on Joe Biden's speech from Independence Hall, the, with the, <laughs> With the seriously bad stagecraft 
I'm not even, I don't think that that was intentional. I think it was just incompetence, but that whole red background with Joe Biden shaking his fists like that was even, um, I think there was a, was it uh, Scott Street, I think, who's a lifelong Democrat, was (laughs) writing at the Federalist today or yesterday saying, how could you not see Nuremberg (laughs) in that imagery? It was so bad. Um, And I'm, Anyway, I'm just going to give them credit for that wasn't their intent, but the execution was so bad. But majority of Americans, overwhelming majority of independents, GOP called Biden primetime speech, dangerous escalation and rhetoric believed it is designed to incite conflict. Um, only 18% of Democrats, though, think speech was dangerous and designed to incite conflict. I, I, I think it was dangerous. I'm not sure if it was designed to incite conflict. But it certainly didn't do anything to uh, assuage the um, divisions that we have in this country either. Yeah, here's I actually do think it was designed to incite conflict. And here's why the whole January 6th debacle and what the Democrats have tried to do in regard to January 6th has failed. In other words, they tried to paint every Republican in the country uh, who voted for Donald Trump as a quote unquote insurrectionist. They've, they've held hearings. They're going to continue to hold hearings. They keep saying there's a big bomb coming. Nothing comes out of the hearings. It's largely been a failure. And so this is a way for them, I believe, to try to escalate. What they're looking for is they're looking for violent behavior to come from the right. I think they're trying to prod and poke and cajole the right into doing something violent. And I would say to all of my friends on the right, don't. Right. Just avoid this impulse. I understand why you're frustrated. I understand why Biden's speech would make you angry and make you feel like you're being persecuted by the party in power because you are. But we need to sit back. We need to activate lawfully. We need to make sure we vote. We need to make sure we hold a convention of states because they are trying to get us to the point where they can simply suppress us entirely. Yes. And I think that that is a it's a rhetorical escalation, absolutely. And the problem is, is with rhetorical escalations is that even if it's not intentional, they lead to bad consequences. Yes. And you can see that in some of the commentary afterwards, especially over on MSNBC, where you had commentators saying, this is a wartime speech and we're at war with these people. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and Eugene Robinson, who's a columnist for the, it was the first one I saw that said this. And I, my, and I said, question. If the United States is at war, and this is a wartime speech, who's the enemy? Because I think it would be good to identify who the enemy is, because I didn't hear that, first off, that we're at war, and secondly, that this is some sort of wartime speech. In fact, the the White House actually tried to package it as something entirely opposite of that. This was going to be a, you know, uh, uh, a call to evaluate the soul of the nation, um, that sort of thing. And so- Clearly, um, clearly the, that message didn't come across very well, even yeah, among their allies. The end, look, he, he called us enemies of democracy, essentially. He said yeah. people like us are a danger to the republic, a clear and present danger. And so that is a, a wartime call. And it's important that we remember, if you look at all totalitarian movements, there's always an element of, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, in, in Maoist China, it was the Red Brigades and Nazi Germany it was the brown shirts. Important to remember, these are citizen-led movements. Yep. But they were created, the climate for them was created by the governing party that said, you know, you have to go yep. out and you have to silence speech. You got to drag people out of their homes and shame people. 
ultimately that led to beatings and murders. And so what they're doing now is trying to get our friends and neighbors to fear us because we are quote unquote MAGA Republicans, whatever that means. Apparently, if you believe, if you're a pro-life person, you're a MAGA Republican. If you're a traditional marriage person, you're a MAGA Republican. If if you believe that Joe Biden is ruining our country, you're a MAGA American or a MAGA Republican, and all of us are a threat to democracy. Well, when you say somebody's a threat to democracy, it means that you need to do something about it. And there's nothing good that they're going to do. They're going to try to suppress us in one way or another. Yeah, it begs the question. That's the problem. It begs the question. And the answers after that are going to be all bad, all bad. Yeah, you know, there's a piece in this polling that I want to point out that is hopeful to me. And when you look at what we call the crosstabs and you break people down by age or racial demographic or whatever it is, or gender, the most interesting thing that I saw is 18 to 24 year olds uh, were right there with 65 year olds being the highest percentage of people that say this is a dangerous escalation in rhetoric designed to incite violence. And I think that's fascinating. It's the youngest and the oldest. Not that everybody else was far apart. The rest are around 55%, but four points above were the youngest and the oldest. And I think the, the youth part of it is most interesting. I think young people are frustrated with Washington, D.C. They don't trust either party. They don't like to hear this kind of speech. They don't like to see people incited against each other. I think that's hopeful because if you bump up to the next group, 25 to 34, generally speaking, what we're seeing is, and a little bit older, that the millennials are not good. They tend to be very liberal. They tend to be very radical. Those are the woke progressives. But the youngest cohort is moving in our direction. And that means that we have to be rational. We have to give them good arguments. We have to point out the bad arguments, but we have to make sure that we are engaging them positively and on good core Republican, small r Republican, I mean, values, the values of federalism, the values of limited government, the values of subsidiarity, the types of values that that undergird uh, a, a republic. Uh, and that is precisely why you need a convention of states to fix the overreaches that are creating this sort of stagnant um, obstacle to, to American policy. And, uh, it's just, in so many different layers. You have to fix the core problem. And the only way you can get to the core problem is to have the States do it because Congress won't fix itself. It doesn't have any interest in fixing itself. And that's why you need to go to conventionofstates.com or conventionofstates.org. <laughs> <laughs> Either, way. Either way, uh, and see what Mark Meckler is doing over there and be part of that effort. And um, Mark, always great talking with you. Thanks so much for reaching out after this New York Times thing. What a Absolutely. crazy thing. Hey, thanks for your great piece. It got a lot of attention, maybe more than the New York Times piece. I'd love to think so. <laughs> I would love again, to Ed. think so. Thanks, Mark. Stay tuned for just a little bit more from the Ed Morrissey Show after this. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.